most authors think what's really important about their stories is plot. And no, the readers want to read the story to find out what goes on in the story. What is sales copy is telling the readers why they want to buy that story, not necessarily what goes on in the story. Welcome back to The Author Biz, where we gather together to chat about the non-craft parts of your author business. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and this is episode number 59. Those of you who have listened for a while know that I've spent a lot of time in the technology business. And one of the general rules of the technology business is that if you want someone to describe a product... Don't ask a developer. Don't ask the person who created the product. Don't ask anyone on the development team to describe a product uh, to a potential customer. To a certain extent, the same is true for books. Uh, One of the things that really flummoxes authors of all types, indie authors, traditionally published authors, is writing sales copy. You know, sales copies. The information that someone sees when they look up your book on Amazons or iTunes or Kobo before they make the decision about whether or not to buy the book. Today's guest, Dean Wesley Smith, says there are some specific techniques for writing good sales copy, and he detailed those uh, last not two months ago, actually, in August, in a series of blog posts that will soon, like within a week or so, be released as a book called How to Write Fiction Sales Copy. I have wanted to interview Dean since I've started this show. Dean has been an inspiration to me. Dean and his wife, Christine Catherine Rush, who was a guest of the show on episode 28, have been an inspiration to me and authors of all types for years. So I've wanted to find a reason to to speak to Dean for a while. And an author friend of the show, Diana Deverell, contacted me and said, hey, Dean's written this this series on writing sales copy, that would make an interesting topic for the show. And she was absolutely right. And that's what we're doing today. We're going to talk to Dean about writing sales copy. We're going to talk about other things as well. Dean has been in the writing and publishing business for 40 years and and just has a wealth of knowledge to share with us. So we're going to talk about his secret to success, to building a long-lasting career as an author, why he likes to teach, why he writes so much on his blog. Both he and his wife, Chris, write extensively on their blogs, and, and we all learn from that. And they also teach courses both online and they teach workshop courses at their what used to be their home, and now they teach out of their office in Oregon on the coast. Uh, But for those of us who can't go to the coast, I've taken some of their uh, online courses, and they are tremendous. So there's a lot of great information in this show. I hope you enjoy it. We'll have show notes for this episode and with links to everything we've discussed at the AuthorBiz website. While you're there, please sign up for the email list and join the folks who have already gone through my email course on what makes an effective author website. The feedback I've received on the course has been terrific, so whether you're in the process of building your website or just wondering if your site's doing everything that it should, that course might help you. It's free. Just sign up for the email list, and it's actually it's five essential elements, but you'll get six or seven emails. One last thing before we get started. There will not be a show next week. I'm going to be traveling. I'm going to be in Knoxville next weekend. So if we have any Knoxville listeners out there who want to get together for coffee, send me an email at authorbiz at 
Com. I will be in Knoxville on the 10th and 11th of October. So if you listen before then and you're available and you want to sit down and chat about your author business for a little while, I would love to sit down and chat with you. So drop me an email again. It's authorbiz at gmail.com. Now, let's get on with the show. Dean Wesley Smith, welcome to the Author Biz. Thank you for having me. It is an absolute honor for me to have you on this show. I've been following your blog and your work for years, and it's a thrill for me to get a chance to talk to you. Well, thank you. And thank again, thanks for inviting me. Look forward to it. I you are I, I was telling my wife this before I before I came in. You're one of the few people in North America that I can email when I get up in the morning. I'm a really early <laughs> riser and get a response. And she said, Oh, Dean gets up that early too? And I said, Absolutely not. He's the opposite. He's still up. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I work until um, five or six in the morning, uh, depending on whether something else is going on and I need to get a little, little more sleep. You know, sometimes I'll crash out at 4.30 or 5. But, yeah, I, I see sunrise moderately regularly, but only from the night side. <laughs> All right, let, let's get into this. We've got sort of a traditional starting question here. I'm going to rephrase it slightly for you. You've been writing for over 40 years. Is there one thing that you can point to? other than the quality of your writing that's been the secret to your success? Um, not quitting. I mean, that, that, <laughs> that's that, a really good sounds, that sounds so simple, but that's actually the, the absolute truth is the just, I, you know, I've, I've gone away from writing short periods of time over the, over the 40 years. I went and played professional poker and things like that for a while. Um, and, but you know, by and large, I, you just keep at it and you just keep doing it. And when things look the bleakest, you just keep going. And that's really hard for 99% of the population to do. They, you know, they'll say, well, it's, I'm, I'm done now. Um, I'm finished. And, and, um, I did a, a survey at, at Denvention, um, number of years back Worldcon when it was in Denver mm-hmm. and, uh, of some of my friends that have been around for 30 and 40 years. And I said, how many times did you think your career was over? How many times were you completely done? And, um, and the a- average answer over 30 to 40 years was three or four times. Um, I asked uh, people like George Martin, Walter John Williams, Kevin Anderson, Mike Stackpole, people like that that you would, you know, that have been around as long as I've been around. Mm-hmm. And all of them said, oh, yeah, I thought I was finished at least three or four times along the way. And, and you just keep going. It's still happening today. And you, you hear, and, and you know, I, I hear people say this all the time. They're in the middle of their current book, and it, it's I can't finish this. I don't know what to do. This book is going to suck. My career is over. Yeah, you hear that all the time. But you really, the only thing that can kill a career is not writing. That's the only thing. Very simple. I have a quote. I was going to get to this later in the interview, but we'll get to it now. And this came from your blog on September 19th. We're recording this on the 22nd. Uh, So it's just a few days ago. And in there, you say craft can be learned, storytelling can be learned, business can be learned, but what is impossible to teach is the drive to just keep going against all odds. I said that? You did. (laughs) The last thing I write every night is those blogs, and so you know, sometimes they're they're coming right out of the subconscious. But yeah, that's completely accurate as far as I'm concerned. Everything can be teached except persistence. You just you just can't teach the ability, um, give people the ability to stand up when they're on the ground and thinking everything's over. You just it, somehow that is just 
it's either inherent in you, who you are or it isn't. And with writing, since we play inside our head between our two ears, everything is in there. You know, the, you know, all the feelings, all the emotions, all the, oh, I'm done. Oh, I'm excited. Everything's between our ears. And, and um, you know, there's no, there's not a lot of outward, you know, feedback at times. You just have to write for the love of writing and just keep going. Can you share with, with us uh, a specific time that you just thought, this is it, I'm done, I can't do this anymore? Um, I, well, I basically, in, in old traditional world, um, I basically shot myself in both feet and, and then decided to shoot myself in the knees once uh, <laughs> by simply, um, I had sold the first novel to Warner Questar in 1987, and Brian um, Thompson was the editor at the time. And uh, a really great guy. I liked him a lot. He liked my book. We actually worked well together. We were working on, and it was the first book in a series, and it was my very first published novel. It wasn't my first written novel, but it was my, it turned out to be my first published novel. And, um, and we, we basically were going to do fine. And then I got busy and ended up going towards Pulp House Publishing. And we, Chris and I started Pulp House in 87. And I never really got around to following up that book with Brian, even though, you know, we had a couple proposals, we'd gone back and forth. And by the time anything really ever happened, I was so busy with Pulp House. And I, that, that was death in traditional publishing because I only had one book and it had, you know, beginning writer numbers. And mm-hmm. they followed numbers, you know, the, the sales numbers in those days. And basically my career was over at that point. I mean, it was, it was done. Um, and when I got done with Pulp House and we were all finished with that and coming out of it um, in 92, 93, and I, and I kind of went, I, I can't sell a book. And I literally, no one would look at it because my numbers were so bad from that one first book. And I had never followed it with a second and a third book to try to bring it forward. That was the old game you had to play in traditional publishing. And um, it was done at that point. And I ended up getting lucky and ended up going towards media and that that was the rescue of that one. I just kept writing and having fun and ended up doing things I love like Star Trek and Men in Black and writing Spider-Man and X-Men and stuff like that and just had a blast doing all of that. For people who maybe haven't followed your career or don't read your blog, and everyone, if you're listening out there, you should definitely be reading Dean's blog. It, it's just been an inspiration to me for, for several years now and to lots of other people. Oh, thank you. Because you write so prolifically in your blog about your life and your past and things like that, there are things that I know about you that I, I wouldn't know about normal people. Uh, for example, you, <laughs> you, you mentioned uh, you know writing Spider-Man and Star Trek and things like those. You wrote those as a ghostwriter. No, well, some of them were under my name. Okay. Uh, yeah, some of them were under Chris and my name, actually. Um, my name first and then Chris's. Cause okay. When we started off, because my career was dead after that first thing, uh, we started off and, and we attached Chris's name to it because her career was gangbuster. She'd won the Campbell Award. She had just moved to being the editor of FNSF. And so by having her name attached to mine, I could do a lot of the work on the book and okay. she could be there. But she, you know, she wrote the book, too. Um, and that's what got me started. That's actually helped revive my career. Um, but, yeah, I wrote, um, I think it was 30, I think I'm, my name, my actual name is on 35 Star Trek books. <laughs> um, and then I wrote a bunch of other ghost books. But, yeah, I ghosted a lot of books for a lot of writers over the years, too. And was it two years ago that I 
you took a month or maybe six weeks, I can't remember exactly what it was, to ghostwrite a book. We never learned what the book was, but we tracked your process through that entire writing process, which was just fascinating to me. Yeah, it was it was a thriller. Um, I think it turned out to be about 75, 80,000 words. And I did it in um, 10 days, I think. That's right. It was incredible. And you were you just kept getting behind. It's like, oh, you, yeah. I'll, I'll get caught. I, I was busy. I was watching The Voice and, and uh, you know, I'll get caught up. And then the last few days, it was just, wow, yeah. <laughs> you wrote a yeah, lot of words. And then and you were I, done. And I, and, I, and I blogged about it the whole time. And yes. that's out in a book now, too, I think, called How to Write a Novel in 10 Days or 15 Days, whatever it was. I don't remember now, <laughs> to be honest with you. But, yeah, that was the ghost book. That was the last traditional published book that I wrote. Um, it was a ghost book for a major uh, New York Times bestseller, and the book became a bestseller. And for people like me who feel pretty good about themselves when they write a thousand words in a day, I looked at your word counts and I'm like, oh my God, how does this guy do it? And you just, that's, you have been writing in public essentially ever since then, posting word counts and things, and this is just the way you write. Yeah, I started that about I think three or four months after doing that one week, because I got such positive reviews and so many people said that they had never even realized how professional writers work. And, mm -hmm. and when I was coming up, um, you know, my heroes and the people who really helped me a lot were people like Harlan Ellison and Ray Bradbury and Algis Budras. And, you know, I could drop names for a while because these people were really influential and they became friends and helped me. And um, Harlan would would sit alone in, or would sit in a bookstore window with a manual typewriter. Someone would give him a phrase and he would write a short story. And every page of the, uh, that he'd pull off the manual typewriter, he would tape on the window of the bookstore so the people outside could read his story as he was writing it. <laughs> and some of these won Hugos and, and mystery awards and everything else. And he just and he never rewrote them. He just put them right there. He just did it in public. And um, and when we were at Pulp House, we, we tried, we did our best to try um, to do what was called Ellison Under Glass, which was basically Harlan writing out in public like that. He would write mm -hmm. at conventions in the middle of an auditorium. He would write in bookstore windows, you know, out in public just to show people that it wasn't, you know, there was nothing magical about it. He just sat down and he wrote and, and he wrote one draft clean and, um, you know, by and large clean. Mm -hmm. uh, he would probably have one or two corrections on a page. Um, but that was that was all that he did, and those those went right into print. And so, as I came, as I finally got a clue back in '82, about seven years after I fell into all the myths for seven years, um, and I started looking around and going, "Wow, Harlan's doing this. Ray Bradbury's writing a story a day. You know, Bob Silverberg's doing all of this sort of stuff." Um, and I'm like, "Why can't I do it?" You know, that was my thinking. And once I got going, it just never, never. Never thought of looking back. I don't look back at any of my work, which is why I sometimes have troubles remembering what I did on something. Well, that 10-day episode, uh, mm -hmm. I, I remember it so clearly just reading, and it was like blinders coming off. It's like, oh, it, like like you said, so many people commented, this is the way a professional writer writes. I mean, you, you wrote in spurts. You might mm -hmm. write for an hour and then go do something for 15 minutes and then go do it again. And then you might go take a nap and, and uh, write some more. And at the end of the day, you had this large word count and it was every day like that. Yeah. It, it was It was the single most inspiring blog entries that I that I'd ever read and and still to this point that, that I have ever read that 10 day period that 
for some reason or other, I thought it was a month, but uh, apparently no, you wrapped it up in 10 days. <laughs> yeah, I was 10, I think 10 days or something like that. It was fairly short uh, because I, because what had happened was, is yes, what you learn this in traditional publishing, especially as a ghostwriter, you never start a book until you've seen the first half of the advance. Mm-hmm. And they paid me, you know, quite a bit of money. And so, you know, I got the first, I didn't get the first half of the events. It was last. It was in the fall, the year before. I never would have decided to do that that spring, but it was in the fall that I signed the contract, and I wasn't going to start it until they gave me the money. And they kept saying, "Oh, Dean, we need that book," and I'm like, "Yeah," and I'll start it as soon as you send me the money. <laughs> and so they were the one that pushed me into a, a an, into a ten day deadline, basically, by just not giving me the money until, you know. And and I went, "Oh, okay. Well, let's get this out of my hair," and and that's what I did. I wrote it quick. Um, and as, as you mentioned, it was extremely popular. There were, I don't know, a, the, reading the comments every night was, was also instructional. But after that, you, you sort of continued on the process, and you try these different little things. In July, you did something that was almost as extraordinary, maybe more extraordinary, and that was the idea of writing a single short story every day while you were doing all the other things that you do. Yeah, I, I have a basically I, I do these out in public now to show people that you can work a forty-hour work week and still do quite a bit of writing, because I am the the CFO of WMG Publishing and and I do quite a bit of other stuff and we have a collector's store here that used to be my store that we bought WMG bought back and so I'm always playing in that. I basically work you know I'm basically not writing for forty to sixty hours a week, um, and so I just. That's why I detail out my day to show that, you know, all it takes is an hour here and a couple hours there and, you know, putting your butt in the chair and writing. Um, and so, that yeah, in July, that was great fun. I'd always kind of wanted to try that. And um, it, it turned out to be so much fun um, that, that, you know, doing I did 32 stories in 31 days. And they're now out in a book mm-hmm. along with the blogs about writing each story. And um, they're out called, in, called Stories from July. And they just came out in like in electronic, and they'll be out in a couple of weeks in paper. Um, but um, yeah, that so you get all 32 short stories that I wrote that month, plus all of the blogs about how I came up with the title and how I started writing it, and how long it took me to write it, and all that. You know, funny a funny story. I I went on to Amazon today to look to see if uh, a book that we're going to be talking about shortly had been released yet, and so I typed in Dean Wesley Smith, and you know how it auto fills in things. Oh, yeah. It said Dean, we- Dean Wesley Smith stories from July was the thing that popped up. So people must oh. be searching for it. <laughs> oh, good. That's good to hear. <laughs> but it, it wasn't just that you wrote the stories. You wrote the stories, and then in August, you started writing the sales copy for the stories, and you did that in public as well, and didn't just write it. You explained how you wrote it, and you showed the readers of your blog a variety of different ways in which an author can and should write sales copy. So that, let's spend a little bit of time talking about that. First, did, did you have that idea? Was that part of the plan originally? I'm, I'm going to do that or just pop into your head early in August? Uh, no, it, it, it was, there was no plan. Um, the, the initial plan was to put all the stories into a book. Mm-hmm. And when I got done with July, you know, then Alison Longuera, the publisher at WMG, um, she emailed me and she said, Dean, we're going to need blurbs for all these stories. 
And and because I was going, I'm also going to, we're also going to publish them all individually, you know, standalone out there, you know, for, for $2.99 per mm-hmm. short story. And I went, oh, I need, oh, 32 blurbs. And suddenly it just felt totally overwhelming. And I couldn't remember, to be honest with you, I couldn't remember half the stories. Um, <laughs> it's just how my mind works. I'm always thinking forward. I don't ever really look backwards at anything. And so suddenly here's this gigantic task. And I'm not sure who said it. Somebody said it. They said, oh, you should should just do a few a day and talk about doing them and then get it done and write and put them in a book. And I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. And that kept me motivated enough to write 32 <laughs> blurbs <laughs> over a period of, well, I think I did it in about a week and a half or so. It was nine days. I looked them all up and uh, read through them all today to be sure that I had read them all. And I'm sure you've memorized them all. So you can just... Oh, no, uh, not, not one. <laughs> <laughs> but let's, let's talk a little bit about writing sales copy because it's so difficult for authors. Why is it so difficult? Um, because authors are, are not normally... It, 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 we're not hype machines. Uh, we just, we don't, you know, no matter, even, even the best indie author out there who's out there really promoting their book, um, most of them are not comfortable doing that. Most authors, not all, but most are introverts. And we don't like talking much about ourselves and we don't like, um, um, you know, trying to be real hypey about our books. You know, the best book since sliced bread, you know, and that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. We just, we don't like saying that kind of, of sales voice. So, to train authors and to get into sales voice takes a certain type of thing. And and most authors think what's really important about their stories is plot. And 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 no, the readers want to read the story to find out what goes on in the story. What is sales copy is telling the readers why they want to buy that story, not necessarily what goes on in the story. And so it's it's a fine line. And of course, I call it the writer problem because writers have a desire to tell somebody their plot. And then mm-hmm. this happened. And then this happened. And boy, that's dull. And they, of course, they do it in passive language too. This is going to happen. And uh, oh, that's not even passive. That's even worse. <laughs> but uh, it's just hard for writers to do it and, and to get into the mindset. And you have to turn it on and then turn it off to go back to your fiction. So it's a click on switch that you have to learn how to do. While you were writing this, you showed a number of different ways of doing it. The first day, you were mostly dealing with what you just referred to as the author problem. And then the next day, you'd show a slightly different way of going about it and use the actual examples of the blurbs you were writing for these short stories. Mm-hmm. Do, you remember, yeah, not... do you remember all the different techniques that you used? No, I remember there were seven of them, I think. <laughs> I remember that. Um, but, uh, you know, no, it, it's, just, it's just so natural for me that when I was going along, I, what I would do is I would, you know, I was doing them in order through the book. Just started on story one and did them in order. And, um, and so I would look at the next couple blurbs as I sat down each night and go, oh, I would probably use this to do that blurb there. And then that would be what I would explain that night. And then I'd end up the last couple nights where I did eight or eight or nine of them. I think the last two nights were just using a mixture of everything because I'd gone through the seven basic techniques of, mm-hmm. of how to pull a story blurb or a sales copy out of out of a story. And um, you know, I knew there were seven. I just do them automatically, so it had never occurred to me, to be honest with you, to write them down and to explain them like this. And and when I got done, I kind of went, oh, that actually makes you know that actually works um, as a as a book. It just 
I've just been doing it for so long because of Pulp House and learning how to do sales copy at Pulp House to sell books because we were basically an indie publisher, only we started in 1987. <laughs> uh, back then it was called Small Press um, or Specialty Press, I think is what we were called. I'd learned it back then, and I'd been doing it and helping my editors write it for a lot of books. I would often turn in sales copy with a book to help the editor, because if I knew an editor I was working with didn't know how to write sales copy, mm-hmm. I would write it for them, and, and, because the, that would, and then that would make them look good to the sales department. Are you comfortable just sort of sharing an, an example of writing sales copy with us? Well, I, I, I could hear, um, I suppose. Um, I have in front of me the basically the proofed um, version of the book that will be coming out on this. And the, one of the, the very first story I wrote, I, and again, I had no plan on writing any of these stories. Is if you follow the blogs or, or read you know, the July book, the uh, stories from July, I basically just came up with uh, a title. And so the first title I came up with was called The Case of the Date of the Dead Lady Blues. And then I have a series that I call Pilgrim Hugh. It's a, he's a bizarre kind of detective, um, private detective. And that is a, is a, a story about, a, a, if, if I tell you the plot, it's a story where Pilgrim Hugh finds a woman who's been basically dyed blue and she's dead in an empty apartment. <laughs> Okay. And they have no idea what caused it, um, and she's completely dead. Um, and so, how I started into that is, if I, you know, if you were a regular writer, you would say, "Pilgrim Hugh finds it, find, finds a dead lady, you know, in a dyed blue, and then he does this, and then he does that, and then he does this, mm-hmm. and that would be what an author would do in a normal blur." So, to get out of that author problem I was talking about, what I did was I, I first off explained the main character, because I put on that title a Pilgrim Hugh incident, uh, which is what I do with Pilgrim Hugh stories. I call them incidents. So I basically s- described how he loves solving strange cases, and very little stumps him for very long. And then I put the name of the woman, her name was Deep Blue, and described the setting, dead in an empty apartment, and then completely stop right there and then and back up and say, and more than Hugh knows depends on his quick solution, which is a way of saying, da-da-da-da, the clock is ticking. Mm-hmm. And then I back up even farther and say, Pilgrim Hugh once again rides to the rescue in his stretch limo, driven by his brilliant assistant. And then I, say, and then I tell the readers why they want to buy it. If you love puzzle crime stories, grab The Case of the Dead Lady Blues. See, now I want to read that. When you were explaining about the blue lady dead, that, that sounded kind of boring. But now it sounds good. I want to read this. Yeah, and the only line about the story itself, there's only one sentence. And I'm not kidding you. One sentence about the story. Um, and, and it goes, but a woman by the name of Deep Blue, dead in her empty apartment and died blue, seemed like an impossible case. And then that's it. Nothing else. All the rest of it is either about Pilgrim Hugh or about how it has to be solved quick, or telling the reader that if they love puzzle crime stories, they better pick this one up. And it's all active voice. It's, all act- it, it, yeah, this, it all makes sense when you describe the problems that we have when we write our own sales copy and the way that they were addressed there. And that's essentially the way the blog series went. And the blog series, as you mentioned, is going to be turned into a book. Is the book actually going to be called How to Write Fiction Sales Copy? Yes, 
Okay, yes. and it's coming out in October, probably a couple weeks after this. You know, we're not sure yet, a week or so yeah. after this show airs. Uh, but as soon as it goes live, I will put it in the show notes so you can check there to get a link to the book. But reading the blog post was extremely instructional. The nature of reading blog posts makes it difficult to keep. Uh, having a book is a, a lot better way to learn material like this, I think. Yes, and especially for, I, I do this, feel the same way. I, that's why we make sure that these get into paper as well as electronic, because there's a lot of people who, on research, they'll put the book on their shelf, and, the, and then they'll finally find themselves two months later after finishing a novel, oh, I've got to write sales copy for that. And they can reach back to the book and thumb through the book. It's a lot easier to do that for a lot of us than it is to thumb through a, a Kindle document. Um, and so, you know, it just, it's a matter of, of just easy research um, to do it that way. So we, we put them in both electronic and paper for that very reason. And for you and Chris do the same thing. You write about things on your blogs and if it's collectible, you put it into the form of a book and offer it for sale, which just makes great business sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We didn't used to do that. I, I wrote, for years and years, you know, blogs along and never once thought of doing that. Um, and then someone one day said to me that they were having trouble going back and finding something that I had written a year and a half before. And, and I'm like, oh, well, maybe we need to be pulling those out. Chris, on the other hand, she started right from the beginning and wrote that gigantic freelancer survival guide, uh -huh. which is incredible. She purposely blogged about that with the intent of it being a book. And it's an incredible book. And she did the same thing with what turned into, was it, is it Discoverability? Yeah, Discoverability. Yeah, that's a tremendous book, too. Yes, it, it really is. And, and when she and I talked on this show, that's primarily what we were talking about. But again, that was a series of blog posts that much easier to read in the form of a book. That, so the two of you are constantly teaching. You, you do what you do, then you explain what you're doing and why you did it. And this is just sort of the way you guys work. So you have been writing and teaching for years. We didn't start off teaching by any means. Um, Chris and I are both of the um, firm belief that, that you only learn from people who are farther down the road that you want to walk. Mm -hmm. and, and the problem is, is that, that a lot of writers are trying to learn from people who don't know how to, how to write. Um, they just don't, uh, you know, and, and no offense to English teachers because English teachers have this oh, incredible uh, task of trying to teach general masses um, English. And, um, and that, that's not where you learn, you know, how to be a creative writer. You learn from creative writers farther down the road. And we were, she and I were both inordinately lucky to, um, to have such great teachers in our past, Damon Knight, Kate Wilhelm, Algis Budras, Harlan, people like that that would, would just help us and, and, and give us a hand up. And so what we're trying to do is the same thing to the next generation because, you know, we can't pay them back. And, you know, we, we can only say, okay, this is what we know now. And that's what we do. But we didn't really start teaching until, oh, the mid-'90s. We, we did a kind of a one-day thing with the two of us, and, and it was back and forth. And when we get going kind of in a stand-up comedy routine almost <laughs> – um, and people started calling it the Chris and Dean show. Mm -hmm. And we would be invited around the, into writers conventions and stuff around the country to do the Chris and Dean show uh, about 
publishing. And and so in 1999, we decided, well, let's, we got tired of traveling and we said, let's just bring this home. And we tried one test class, went okay. Um, and then three years later, I guess, two years later, three years later, we actually started up workshops here on the coast. And then three years ago, we started the online workshops. Now, the, the, the workshops on the coast, first, does, where do you live? I know where you live, but sh- share with listeners where you live. Uh, Lincoln City, Oregon, which is right square in the center of the Oregon coast. In and, center of Oregon. you know, I, I've seen the interior of your house. It's like a 1,200-square-foot bungalow, right? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this massive compound that you guys yeah. have. Yeah, it's, it's uh, almost 5,000 square feet, and it's a maze, and it's filled with books. And, um, you know, it's, it was actually at one point we used it for the workshop house, and it was 12 bedrooms. Um, we've combined some of the bedrooms now to other spaces and, you know, a big, a big video room on one. And we combined a couple of them for a couple of Chris, for Chris's office. And there's a huge nonfiction library that takes up three of those rooms and hallways and everything else. Uh, but, yeah, it's a, basically a monster 10-bedroom house overlooking the Pacific Ocean. And is there... Are there other buildings? Because I, I see from your blog that you're, you're walking down to the office. Oh, well, we have we have WMG office is a, a 7,000 square foot building on the highway about a mile from here. OK. All right. Yeah. And it's it's a it's a huge WMG publishing is a, is a gigantic place. And just that's where that's where we do the coast workshops now. Um, it has, you know, and we're like on a Friday night, about once every six weeks or so, professional writers from all around the area get together and just talk about publishing and writing. And uh, for three or four hours on Friday night, about once every eight or ten weeks. Um, that's just great fun. We do things like that up there. And then, of course, it's the center for WMG Publishing. It's where everything goes and comes and shipping department and everything else up there. And just the past this past weekend, I'm guessing uh, you had some sort of a mystery. It's thing still going, going on. on. It, it's still going on. Okay. Yeah, the mystery workshops up there. Chris is teaching it, and um, um, because she's got incredible mystery con- mystery credentials under both Christine Catherine Rush and and her pen name Chris Nelscott. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, she, um, and then one of the WMG books, WMG books that we just did in the Fiction River series is that Chris edited called Crime is up for a Silva Faustian Award for the best anthology of oh, the wow. year. Oh, wow. And it just, we just heard that today. Um, and so and she's up for a big mystery award. So she's teaching a mystery workshop, and there are, you know, I think 13, 14 professional writers up there right now that are here all week long. And um, are, she's just working them to death. <laughs> oh, what, what a fabulous experience. I was re- as I was reading your blog today, I was reading about that thinking, oh, I've got to go to that sometime. And then I saw we probably won't do this again. Well, we don't. We don't know. We we we're always saying that because we want to give people a little bit of warning out ahead that that the reason we do this is because number one we're trying to pay forward, but we've been doing that for a while now. Um, it's we're still learning, and when we get bored, we don't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a really easy easy measuring stick. If we don't if we're not learning from it and having fun with it, we don't do it. And so um, we never know. And that's why the online workshops, I'm continually starting new ones. And those are all WMG workshops. I don't get paid for doing them at all, which we just realized about three weeks ago, actually. (laughs) (laughs) And you're the the CFO? (laughs) Yeah, I'm the CFO. And it never occurred to us to do, you know, to pay because Chris and I don't 
like I just I just drove down to Utah for a big writers conference. Mm-hmm. I was the keynote speaker at this writers conference, and I they you know I didn't ask for any money. I just wanted I just said pay my pay my expenses and my hotel room, and that's I don't want any fee. I don't want anything because we don't like getting paid for teaching. Um, we just don't do it. So the money that we do on the online workshops or the coast workshops goes into. WMG and into helping the publishing program up there and and helping buy other writers' stories for Fiction River and things like that. Okay. Now, the online courses, we've mentioned those a couple of times. I have taken out, it's less than several, but more than a few of those courses. I've also taken some lectures. I've always found them to be incredibly useful. And every month you put out a list of next month's sessions and I there are always five that I want to take um, <laughs> this is this is something online teaching is very 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 popular right now uh, you guys started this uh, a few years ago when it yep. was pretty unusual um, now yeah. everybody that has a computer is teaching an online course of some type but you guys started this a few years ago so uh, what was the thinking when you when you first came up with the with the course Schedule. Well, it was it was so expensive to get out here to mm-hmm. the Oregon coast because we live literally on the in the, at the end of nowhere, and um, you know so for a writer to make the commitment and the week long commitment and the travel and family and all the other stuff to get to the Oregon coast was a, a large chunk of change, and so we were always hearing that from people that that they wanted to learn but they just there was just no physical financial way they could get here, and. Um, so that we for a couple of years, uh, a couple of friends in ours, um, a guy by the name of Scott William Carter, who's a fantastic writer, um, ScottWilliamCarter.com is how you can find his books. Um, he um, he worked as a um, the tech person at a major university, and he was saying that the universities now were going to more and more online kind of stuff for their classrooms, and the professors were doing that, and he was willing to show us how to do it. And between between Scott's help over a couple year period and us kind of playing around, we finally figured out a way that it would work for us. Um, because as you said, it was there wasn't much anybody doing it at that mm-hmm. point, mm-hmm. and um, and so we we figured out something that would work. And then we just started. We took some of the courses that we had done here on the coast and put them online, and then we just started looking at at an overall curriculum of what can we really do to help people, like the you know how to how to get. A reader down into a story quickly, and that's the depth workshop. Um, and then, you know, and then adding advanced step because there's more than one way of doing it, um, and things like that. It just kept adding on character voice, character development, um, you know, a lot of craft workshops, and then some business workshops. Although the business workshops aren't as popular, they tend to get very, you know, they get. People don't want to learn that stuff, I guess. <laughs> I it, it, it is the nature of doing this kind of uh, work. And, you know, an, an author biz show, it's it's not nearly as popular as it would be if it was a here's how to do this, here's exactly. how to write show. But yeah. uh, there there is a need for this. And, and you see the need for that education. And there are a few others that see the need for that education as as well. Uh, one key, of the things that I like... Let me, let me say add one thing here, though. Sure. When, you do, when you do go out to find other online classes... Make sure that the instructor has a long-term track record, and you know, not just oh, I, I wrote one novel, now I can teach. Yes. Uh, no, no. It makes sure that you know. I mean, Chris and I each have well past, well past over 100 published novels. Actually, we both were past 100 published novels in traditional. Now, counting all this indie stuff in the last five years, 
and um, uh, and so it's just it's it's really important to find people who have been around a while, and then it's really important to go at it with a giant salt shaker, meaning take what works for you and ignore the rest of it. One of the courses I took from you was a course on cliffhangers, and that yeah. might, might not make sense to people. And when I first read about it, it didn't make sense to me. How do you how do you build a course on this? Because you know, a cliffhanger might happen three or four times over the course of a novel. But in taking the course, I learned that cliffhangers are happening constantly, and that's what keeps us turning the pages. And I did not know that until I took that course. Yeah, it was. It's literally at the end of every chapter, at the end of every scene. Mm-hmm. You got You got to have a reason for the reader to jump that white space. And, and then you've then you've got to start the next scene yep. chapter the correct way. So, the correct way with good depth. Yep. And so you ground the reader down again. So sh- share with listeners what a, what a typical course is like. They're um, a month long, right? The, um, six weeks. Six weeks. Okay. Uh, six weeks. Um, what they basically are is that you do them at your own pace. Um, you sign up for them ahead of time because I only take 12 maximum. Although, to be honest with you, the most of the workshops only have four or five people in them, mm-hmm. uh, which is great for me. And that allows me to you know, be a lot better with one-on-one coverage and, and really being able to help people back and forth in email. Um, but you, you sign up ahead of time. The list is at wmgpublishingworkshops.com. And that's that's has the list of I think through the end of the year now it's up, um, and um, um, what occurs is there in each you get a password for the main page, and then at the at the start of each week you get a password for the next week, and there's six or eight videos on each week plus an assignment, and you have five days to do the assignment at your own speed and get me the assignment, and then I will comment on it. And then at the start of the next week, you get the next week's videos. And and they stay up the whole time plus a number of weeks afterwards. So you can go back and review everything and all that. But it takes about three hours to four hours a week if you do the assignment. It takes about three hours to four hours a week on, on average on most of the workshops. So it, and people can do it 30 minutes here, an hour here, and do it at their own pace. Yeah, I, I remember one time... Uh, thinking that I might do two courses at once, and you sort of advised me against it through email. Um, yeah. and, and And once I actually got into the courses, I could see why that made a lot of sense to not do it that way. You guys also offer lectures. I've taken some of the lectures. The lectures are also excellent. And same kind of thing. It's it's video teaching, um, but but without the interaction with you. That's right. And you can ask questions, of course, by email or in, in comment section. There's always a forum comment section with each either workshop or lecture. But, uh, yeah, you can and you can go through them as often as you want. The lectures, a lot of people, uh, because we don't change the password. Once you get the password, you can go back to the lecture as often as you want. And, um, you know, over a year or two. And a lot of people will get to a point and go, boy, you know, I remember something. And they'll go back and listen to the lecture again. So once you're once you've you know, bought a lecture, it's there for you. We don't change them. They just stay in the same place with the same password. And you can go back all, as many times as you want. And that, people are finding that's really helpful. I want to move away from the coursework for a little bit and get to the idea of selling books. As authors, we all know how to sell books. You write the book and then you post it on Amazon and, and everything goes swimmingly after that, right? <laughs> no, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I, I was speaking, obviously, somewhat tongue-in-cheek there. There, 
Some people do that, but there are lots of lots of ways to sell your books. There are lots of places to sell your books. There are digital distribution channels. You can also do paper, audio. We all know these things. But you're doing something that I find extremely unique, and it's something that I'd like to explore to explore a little bit on the show. What you're doing is offering a subscription to your writing. So can you tell us a little bit about why you're doing that, when you started, and how, how's it going? Well, actually, it's going really well, but um, it, was, it was one of those ideas. With indie publishing, it, it has this aspect of, especially from someone like myself, we were 35 years in traditional publishing. Mm-hmm. Everything is freeing. It feels free. Uh, you know, I can I can do this. Oh, I can do this, and you know, and you have far more ideas than you'll ever have time to get to, of course. But um, one of them was that I was I have a large uh, digest collection. Uh, I have pretty much every digest in science fiction and fantasy and horror and mystery that were ever done from the mid '30s when digest started. I have them all, and um, I was wandering by and I happened to pull out a Mickey Spillane magazine, and then there was a you know Alfred Hitchcock and Isaac Asimov's and you know and on, but these magazines have the name of the big name author on them. They very seldom have any work. Ellery, Ellery Queen hasn't had an Ellery Queen story for a long time in mm-hmm. it, um, at least to my memory. Um, but, um, you know, the, this this kind of naming a magazine, and I thought, boy, wouldn't it be fun to just have your own magazine with your own stuff in it? And I heard myself think that, and then I started laughing, and I went <laughs> home to you know, was talking with Chris, and I said, you know, I've been thinking that I could just do my own magazine every month with my, only my stuff in it. And she started laughing. She said, yeah, that would be crazy, but it would be doable in this new world. And I said, yeah, I'm going to try that. So basically when I started the um, idea of, of writing in public, I decided I was going to do this. And so on in October, I think it was like October 20th or something, of 2013, the first issue of Smith's Monthly came out, and it has a full novel. It has a, a part of a serialized novel, um, and then four or five short stories and article in it, usually. Basically, 70,000 words every month of my stuff. And that meant I had to write a novel a month, as well as other things. I just started it, and now we're going for two years here. The October issue will be out in October, and it will be two years. Um, but I haven't missed a month. That has a subscription to it, to get to your question, and um, because it was a magazine, and it seemed logical at the time um, to say, oh, we'll sell subscriptions to, and, and the people who initially supported it, I think they were supporting it not, thinking that I would ever be able to maintain that pace. And uh, now people are actually um, buying the subscription to the magazine because they actually want to read it and it has a novel. And, you know, and, and if you had to buy all the parts that are in there separately, it would be far more expensive than, than the six ninety nine for the electronic edition of a full novel, four short stories, you know, a serialized novel. And then the subscriptions give it an even, give, give people even more of a break. And so it's, uh, it just seemed logical because magazine subscription, it went hand in hand. But what we're starting to do now and what we've got some plans for that I can't speak about yet because... Oh, come WFG. on. It's just us. Yeah. But we are doing, going to be doing more subscription stuff. It is a way of the future. No and, doubt. And that's... You're unique in that 
you're able to write 70,000 words, 70,000 new words a month and get it edited and, and get it published. Uh, a lot of authors would look at that and say, I could never do that. But maybe mm-hmm. they could do four things a year. Uh, maybe oh, sure. they could do three things a year and just sell a monthly, quarterly, or even an annual subscription to your work. It, it, that seems like it's got to be something that people are going to be exploring over the course of the next couple of years. Oh, I, I 100% agree. 100% agree. And, and, and it's very, very logical, um, you know, especially like on a quarterly basis. That would be enough to keep people interested. The problem that doing it on a monthly basis is, is the people who are subscribing to Smith's Monthly don't have time to read it all. Yes, yes. Um, and so it just—it's just one of those things where now people are buying the paper edition because they want to. You know, it, it looks really good on the shelf when you get a whole bunch of these lined up, and uh, you know, and so there. And I sign all the paper editions in, for the subscribers. And so it's just it's just kind of one of those things. But, yeah, something that's special like that, there are lots of ways of even going that way. You could do it on a on a Patreon type of setup, which I'm also doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are a number of people on Patreon. I think I have 38 people on Patreon, and they get Smiths Monthly every month also. And um, and so, yeah, that's a different way of subscribing there. So there's going to be not only straight subscription base. But there will be different ways, like a Patreon type of setup, where you could get people or newsletter setup. Um, a lot of a lot of writers I know. Um, I don't even have a newsletter yet. I'm going to be starting one, but I figure with me blogging about my life every day, what's a point of a <laughs> newsletter? Um, but uh, at some point, I will set them up. Um, but this is a matter of some of the writers who don't blog, they give their newsletter subscribers something regular every month for being part of the newsletter. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of a subscription base too. Or give them a deal. One one of the things, one of the I don't know, one one of the puzzles for authors, I think, is the idea of going beyond the book. Um, to to be able to give your biggest fans something a little bit more and to allow them to support you at a higher level. Um, have have you and Chris thought about different ways of doing that kind of thing? Yes, we and and there's and there's some authors doing some really unique things out there that are really cool. Um, my friend Matt Buckman, who writes under M.L. Buckman, he's got a couple ideas um, because he writes military mm-hmm. and military romance and military suspense, and and he's got some just amazingly cool ideas to reward fans and readers outside the book, above the book. Um, we we're getting there at WMG. The problem with WMG started off is. Is that Chris and I have a very large backlist? Mm-hmm. Is the old term in? Um, actually, Chris is doing a column on that for this next week um, about the difference between backlist and just basically a book now. And um, I did I did a couple columns on uh, that I called um, that had the title "Grandpa, What's a Front List?" Because <laughs> those terms are just going to go away mm-hmm. um, because there's no difference between a book. A front list book is a book that a reader finds. It may be three years after publication, but readers are finding books no matter when they were published now. And so it, it's, there's, there's all kinds of fun things about going beyond the book and um, putting things in bundles, um, doing so many other things to give readers ways into your writing and, and to reward you know, your, your good, solid fans. And so you'll see more and more in that over the next five years, too. You know, I, I have to admit that I, when I was going through your website today, one of the things we always talk about on this show is an email list and the value of an email list. And I thought, 
Should I give Dean the business for not having an email list? And then I thought, no. <laughs> he writes a thousand-word blog post every day. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I, I often will tell people to do a really good blog, you know, a really good website, but not the way I do it. Um, I, I really warn people away from talking about how they write too much because that is just it just flies in the face of all the myths too much. And um, also, I, you know, like if you clicked on my novels up at the top, it'll say under construction um, <laughs> because we just, it, you know, it just hasn't got there yet. And I'm slowly rebuilding it so that people can find my work for the longest time. You could never find my work by going to my website. Um, it just wasn't it wasn't a portal to my work. And um, now it's slowly getting better. You, you're starting to see covers that I do and Smith's Monthly are all the way down the side and things like that. And, and, and it'll slowly become what it should be as an author's website. All right. Before we go, Dean, we've talked about uh, a couple of books, one that's about to be published and one that was published uh, a couple of years ago that was the compilation of those blog posts over that 10 days when you were writing that 80,000-word thriller. What was the title of that book? It was called How to Write a Novel in 10 Days. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, that's work. That, that works. And, and so, I have another one that people really, really like a lot. It's called Writing into the Dark, which is how you write without an outline. Because so many, everybody hears about, oh, you got to have an outline. And I, uh, So I did an entire book and a series of posts about how to write into the dark without an outline. And that's something that that's, you actually talked about while you were writing the book, the idea of writing in the dark, and this is the way you yep. do it, and this is why you do it. Um, yes, so that's that's a terrific book as well. And, of course, the book that will be coming out a week or so after this this show goes live is How to Write Fiction Sales Copy, and that's, that's right. sort of the focus of this show. So I will link to all of those as soon as the links become available. I'll link to the first two, and then when the link becomes available for the third, I will link to that. And we've talked about your website multiple times today. People can probably guess what the URL is, but for people who are not good guessers, can you share it with us? Yes, it's DeanWesleySmith.com, but the Wesley is W-E-S-L-E-Y. So it's D-E-A-N-W-E-S-L-E-Y-S-M-I-T-H.com, DeanWesleySmith.com. And I will link to that in the show notes as well. Dean, this has been an absolute uh, treat for me. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you, Stephen. 